Welcome on into the grievance room. Uh, I am Taylor Jedrzak here with Ethan Fornes and our special guest, Evan Damarell. Um, forgot to mention a minute ago, this is um, part of the Waiting for Next Year podcast network and the Evergreen podcast network. Or the, is it Evergreen? <laughs> what do you, is it Evergreen, Ethan? Should have, should have written this down, but I didn't. But anyway, this is a continuation of the um, columns that I've been kind of writing for the last little while more infrequently than I would have liked. I think I'm only on about six, maybe fewer. Wanted to do more than that, but here we are. Life gets in the way sometimes. Um, but the format will still remain the same. To come into the grievance room, you have to be, for lack of a better phrase, upset at something. And of everyone that I know, there is not someone who gets more upset at things easily than Ethan. So that's why wow. you're here. <laughs> what a way to introduce me, as I have been so measured and calm as the third seat on the corner cast. But I cannot say for a second that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt a lot of pressure personally that you're going to save me. I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty steady Eddie when it comes to the Cavs and Cleveland sports. Um, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, cha I'm chaotic. Good. That's what I trolling am. aside. Tra trolling <laughs> aside. The trolling is more on the side of the Browns, but I don't think we're going to touch on that one tonight. Um, but anyway, like I said, to get in here, you have to have a problem with something. And because he's the guest, Evan gets to go first. What uh? What is your grievance that you're bringing in today? Oh man, well I have mostly with the NBA award process. We can complain about the officiating because, for those who may not know me, um, I cover the Cavs for Locked On Cavs five days a week. I do write down Euclid for Meta Bulletin, where I do all things Cleveland sports, their impact on the community as well. Um, but the Cavs are like my primary wheelhouse. But it's. Other than the officiating in the game against Atlanta and to an extent the game against Brooklyn, my main gripe is, one, J.B. Bickerstaff should have been a finalist for Coach of the Year. I think Monty Williams, I think Eric Spolstra, and I think Ta Taylor Jenkins all make compelling arguments. But we can touch on that a bit, but that's like one of my main grievances. But my other main grievance is Cleveland was a top-five team in defensive rating this year. And they had zero players get a vote for Defensive Player of the Year, and that's absolutely bonkers to me. Maybe it's the team defense rah-rah bullcrap that you kind of get on about, but at the same time, Jared Allen should have gotten some consideration. Maybe Evan Mobley, because Evan Mobley is an all-defensive caliber player, in my opinion. That's just my frustration right now, but those are just kind of the axes I have grinding right now, and we can just riff on that until maybe this is like a therapy session. As long as you guys' rates are fair and you take my insurance, I think I'll be feeling better after this. <laughs> well, the the thing that I I wonder about the JB Bickerstaff stuff is that how how much do you th would you factor in the fact that they kind of fell apart after the All Star break? Do you think he would have been heavily considered for that award had they kind of maintained pace a little bit? I yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I think it's hard as well because. The Grizzlies are the two seed in the Western Conference. The Heat are the one seed. The Suns are the one seed. Like Those are your top teams in the league, obviously. And then you have Cleveland, who didn't make the playoffs. But it's easy to kind of zero in 
on the losing slide that the Cavs had towards the end of the season. But at the same time, it's not an award that's for the second half of the season or for the last, let's just say, 20 or so games. It's for all 82. And everyone is hyper aware at this point that a lot of people, myself included, were low on the Cavs heading into this year. And they've shattered every expectation and then some. And if maybe a few calls went their way, if maybe Darius Garland wasn't so off at towards down the stretch and maybe Trey Young didn't eviscerate the Cavs, they'd be in the playoffs right now. And they think just that alone is a huge win for Cleveland personally. But I think you should award and reward the winning that you have, especially when you're a team that was expected to be possibly picking for like Paolo Banchero or even Chet Holmgren if the Cavs just want to get real freaky with it and have three centers on their roster at the same time. Hell, they could just go win the lottery again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they have they have the Derrick Rose odds right now. So if that's the case, I will be not insufferable, but I'll be fully on the, the team of, hey, let's trade the pick. Let's trade that- back, get some more assets, and uh, that's where I maybe will get uh, some grievances from Cavs fans. <laughs> um when like the second part of that the um the defensive player of the year I I also feel like that was probably both hampered by injuries because a lot of the guys like you didn't see Jared Allen for the last month and a half of the season and the Cavs defense suffered because of it but I, that also could be an argument for him to get votes because you know you're your defense is pretty sucky without it. Yeah, so. I I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, it, it's weird to think because Bam Adebayo finished fourth, and Bam Adebayo is arguably one of the best multifaceted defenders in the league. And I think Marcus Smart was more than deserving. The Boston had the best team, the best defense in the league this year, and Marcus Smart was the best point of attack defender in the league this year. And I agree with that pick. I would have said him or maybe Robert Williams would have been a smart pick as well just because he's just really transcended in his third year, I believe, with Boston. But either way, he's been really great for them. But, yeah, I think maybe Mobley missing the better part of the season. Or, sorry, not Mobley. Allen, Mobley, too, because he had the high ankle sprain. He had COVID. He had other things as well. But I think maybe that could be taken into consideration. And... Part of it makes me wonder: Do enough people watch the Cavs? Because like they were, the, they were the talk of national writers, whether it was Zach Lowe or Mark Stein or um, just the folks on ESPN in general, or even on TNT at times. Because Charles Barkley would give them a shout out because he's an Isaac Okoro fan. But I wonder if maybe it's the lack of national coverage that hampered the Cavs a little bit. But I do think injuries play a factor in that to an extent. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting to think about because. Maybe if Allen played the remainder of the year, the Cavs obviously wouldn't have this slide. I think they'd be in the playoffs instead of fighting their way into the play-in and probably playing maybe Philadelphia or Milwaukee right now and just be lopsided. But either way, um, yeah, I think injuries played a factor. So, And I think, like you said, because of that just massive dip the Cavs suffered, there's a good argument to be made like, hey – Either of these guys, especially Allen, because I think he's just the anchor of Cleveland's defense right now, should have gotten some consideration because there was a noticeable drop defensively when you're playing Larry Marketing at the four and Evan Mobley at the five, and you're overwhelming a rookie with defensive assignments because Marketing gets blown past in isolation. As we saw on Friday. Yep. Over so, and over again. Oh, God. 
So you touched on the absences there, and I had my own grievances about basketball this year, but I don't think I watched enough of it to qualify me to sit here and bemoan the god-awful brands of basketball that are Trey Young and James Harden and problems that the Cavs face down the stretch. But Hashtag the grift. Oh, God. But specifically with injuries to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley ugh, down the back end of the season, how much am I going to be able to charge you the next grievance room if that somehow opened the door for Cade Cunningham to steal the rookie of the year? Ooh, that's would a good Cade question. Or would it be Scotty Barnes? I think it would be Scotty. If you had to like hold a gun to my head, it wasn't Evan Mobley, who I think is the betting favorite heading into today just because Vegas sometimes you watch those lines but Scotty I think has a better argument than Kate at this point because if you factor in the winning factor of things Scotty helped his team get to the playoffs but I can dissect that argument too but Kate's been incredible as well and I think just as a basketball fan it means the league's in a good place but yeah I think Kate has made an argument for maybe rookie of the year would it be surprising I think so but Evan Mobley, I kind of call the connective tissue on both ends for the Cavs, where offensively he gives you a lot of things in terms of passing, in terms of scoring, in terms of some of the shooting you saw down the stretch of the season. Like you see his game evolving quite a bit in just so many different ways. And then defensively, he forms a wall of Jared Allen. He covers a lot of the mistakes that maybe Garland or Markman deal with. And then but you don't see him like pop like on either end. Like the, he yes, he pops, but like you don't say like, okay, this is the dude on this end or this end. He just connects everything, which is weird to think because he's 20 years old and he has so much poise and composure. He's a little deadpan. Um, my favorite story about him still is somebody asked him about a game-winning block, and I think he either misunderstood the question or he was just leaning into it where he just said, well, I got lower than the guy, and then I got higher than the guy with my hand up, and I was able to block the shot to win the game. <laughs> and then just stops talking, and they're like, uh, uh, "Okay, but what a quote. I think I think Kate or Scotty can make an argument. How do you guys feel about it? I feel like I'm dominating the calf space here, and I know I mean, Taylor watches. I know Ethan keeps up just because we harass him constantly with it. But <laughs> how do you feel about it? Because I think the calf slide really could hamper their award chances. Like I, I've been dissecting this and going through thought exercises on this the last few days, and it, it could happen. Yeah, I'm I'm really kind of feeling that way too because they all of that momentum they had in the beginning of the season when they were like the league pass team to watch because they were so entertaining and they had this unicorn in Mobley and Ricky Rubio somehow was not useless anymore and uh like they, they were they were so good and then they gradually got hurt and more hurt and more hurt and somehow more hurt and they felt they fell into afterthought territory and then they didn't make the playoffs. I think, I think not making the playoffs. If, if Mobley doesn't win the award, I think it's going to be because of that. I think in the end, he wasn't be without the other guys around him to kind of teach him and let him learn, slow, learn a little bit slower on the fly without Jared Allen there to kind of protect when he makes a mistake or, when Laurie Markkinen gets blown by, like you mentioned, he he got put in some rough positions, and he doesn't. He's not. He's so raw on both ends of the court. Still, I mean, there's a lot of development there, but he's still got so he's got places he can go in terms of growth. So, mm-hmm. it 
it was it was exposed more in the second half of the season, and I think that's where where Raptors Twitter and everyone who wants Scotty Barnes to to take over or take to get that award is going to argue for it. Well, Raptors I, I fans are was... also happiest when they're unhappy. So, well, I, I think Scotty doesn't get life's... it. They'll just take it as a personal slight because their their guy Demar definitely at. Uh, and against the uh, in the playoffs the other day, but Ethan, you were saying, I definitely think it's my life's mission now just to fight Toronto sports Twitter. Kind that's, of um, that's a uh, that's a noble goal. I I just I can't, man. But the problem is, is that they bring it on themselves. I spent three weeks. Well, you dealt with Blue Jays fans. Wait, so you're in the baseball exactly. sphere more, so I don't know how bad Blue Jay fans are, but like Raptors fans, I'm gonna relate. Take it very personally. Oh, Blue Jays fans will talk themselves into and out of players in an instant. So when the Jose Ramirez trade rumors were swirling before they got the extension finished, Blue Jays Twitter went from, oh my god, we're winning a World Series, to them trading for Matt Chapman uh, from Oakland, to them saying, we don't need Jose Ramirez, Matt Chapman is a better player anyhow. No, he's not. To... Jose being potentially back on the table anyhow, and them and them being the Blue Jays fans saying, is Jose Ramirez even worth our 19-year-old top overall prospect that's two years away? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. He is one of the greatest players of our generation. Yes, he's worth that, but may I interest you in a nice Bradley Zimmer? That's fair. Click. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Well, moving on from that rant, we got more Guardians coming up later, but I'm going to get into my grievance. Uh, it's also Cavs related. I have been seeing a lot on Twitter and especially in various discords. I don't know about yours, Evan, but others that I'm in about how this season feels like a failure to some people. And I just don't I have an issue with that because I, I just don't see how you could call this season a failure. What, what the over under for this season was what twenty four wins, maybe less. Like 20, 26 and a half. Twenty six and a half. Like you blew that away. You found out you have like you have your core for the next ten years, and they're going to be a good core. They're probably going to be a top five in the NBA kind of core. I just don't how you see how you can look back at this season and call it a, a failure or call it something that isn't a step in the right direction. Yeah, the ending sucked, and, and I understand that. I'm disappointed that they didn't make, get a playoff series, too. At the end, that's all I wanted. I just wanted them to go through the, the process of a seven-game series. But I just don't – I don't understand the people that want to write this season off as a failure and – are immediately trying to trade all these people and people on Twitter saying JB Bickerstaff should be fired. Like that, that's just horrendously down bad, but uh, what, 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 what do you guys think? I mean, I, 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 I would have, I would doubt you guys would say it's a failure. I don't think it's a failure. Um, I commend you for searching Twitter for this stuff. I'm kind of like that gif of John or Don Draper, just meditating with the explosions in the background. Sometimes that comes over all discourse on this team. I've come to learn that over the pandemic era and just taking a little bit of a Twitter hiatus and learning maybe I shouldn't take the bait so much. But 
I yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. This this season isn't a failure at all. I think JV Bickerstaff is the right coach for this team, just in terms of chemistry and culture, and the fact that the players want to play for him is huge. And I always just think it's icky when people are calling for the job of a black head coach, when especially like the NBA is more one of the more progressive leagues in terms of coaching hires, but it's still hard for black coaches to get full opportunities because it's a stain on their record if they get fired more unfairly than it is for a white coach, but it's odd. I think just the victim complex. I also blame the fact that I think LeBron being on the roster for so long, like carrying the team to the finals four years in a row has maybe tempered the expectations of some fans. And when they see a team that's winning and in such emphatic fashion, like, okay, yeah, no, we're going to the finals. The East is a cakewalk this year. Um, I talked to Kobe Altman a little bit about this today where I just said, how do you make sure you don't fall flat or fall into the pitfalls and maybe where your expectations just crush you? And he's like, it's hard, man. He's like, just, he's like, it, just, just to be fair, it's hard. And the East is really good. You have the Bucks, you have the Nets, you have the Hawks, you have the Hornets who have LaMelo Ball, you have the Bulls who are phenomenal. You have so many good teams in the East and the Heat as well. And it's going to be hard to break in. And if you're the Cavs, at least you have a seat at the table. It's just, do you get to stay for second servings? Do you get to stay for dessert and things like that? And you got to work your way towards that. And I think with the fact that this team had the third youngest, like average lineup in the league this year, and the fact that they're winning so much, you shouldn't throw the bathwater out with the baby or put the cart in front of the horse in this scenario. Let's see where this goes. Let's see where it progresses. And then if you need to make trades within your margins to upgrade what you have, yeah, go for that. But I think it's interesting because the expectation from the team, they aren't putting the onus of we need to make the playoffs next year. Uh, Kobe all made that explicitly clear during his exit interviews today uh, as we're recording this on Tuesday evening. But at the same time, like he kind of just said like it's hard because we were floored with the playoffs. And I think if you have this potential here, you need to look forward to what's ahead. And like, yeah, I understand being disappointed right now. But there's so much more to come, and it's very Cleveland of them because you can just say, "Hey, there's always next year, right?" Yeah, that's where that's where we're at. So, from our <laughs> listeners that don't know you, and for those that need to be reminded, the under on that twenty six and a half this season. I did, I did. So that um, it's a take I get reminded of a little often. So we had Ben Axelrod uh, because WKYC is the parent network of my podcast um so we had ben on because he's big on sports gambling and my co-host chris banning and i know jack shit about it and we don't want to be inauthentic and it's one of our more popular episodes but before the start of every season when the lines are rolled out we have ben come on like would you take the over on this team and why and we all just said hey this Cavs team's going to be bad they're going to win less than 26 games and i'm happy to admit i was wrong like this team has been a blast to cover i think it's stressful and tiring to say like, my battery's just start, finally starting to feel like it's been recharged, and we're almost about a week removed from the season being over. Just me kind of resting and t- taking some priority on my me- for my mental health's sake. But I'm glad to say I was wrong, and I think it's natural to understand why you may have been low on the Cavs, but I'm, again, glad to say I was wrong, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for them. Right, and that might be a collective grievance that we, we, the royal we of Cleveland sports fans, have as a whole. Because for some reason, this team just fe- or this city just feels slighted by every team that underperforms 
every season around. And like you said, they were a 26 and a half over under, according to Vegas. You took the under. They won 44. Somehow the Pelicans made the playoffs in the West at 38. You the can't really compare to New Orleans. They were one of the worst teams in the West for a while, too. And like the, 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 there was a fire inside the, the facility, and they set it themselves. So it, it's odd, but go ahead. Sorry. I, I respect the moves they made going after McCollum. They've done all of this without Zion, who is holding out, but not holding out, but holding out. And all of the nonsense that's happening down there on Bourbon Street. He's doing something. There's something going on there, and most of it's just putting on weight. But at the same time, like, this is one of those ones that you just kind of have to run and, and take it. Yeah, it's disappointing. You made it to the finish line. You tripped and fell right before the ribbon. But at the same time, you outperformed expectations by almost 20 games. That is a bizarre thing. And to those of you that are, A, upset that they didn't make the playoffs, and B, took the over before the season, I don't know why you're upset. Take your money to the bank. Well, yeah. I mean, people got lost in the fun of it, and then the fun went away because they everyone got hurt. Like, it happens. We, like, the things that happened, I think, are mostly out of their control. But, Evan, I wanted to kind of ask you, what do you, what do you think could have been done in the latter half of the season to not let it fall so far? See, so it's tricky. I think Kobe Altman is saying that it's not – Harris Levert's fault that they slid or the injury, the fact that he was more or less out for a month um, hampered the Cleveland's ability. They, they liked what they saw from him when he was available to play. But I really do think it's injuries are the biggest culprit in this one because it's just unfortunate timing where right out of the all-star break, Garland has to sit for the first few games because he's still healing his back a little bit. And then Rondo goes down to the high ankle sprain. You're seeing a lot of Brandon Goodwin minutes. And then when Garland comes back, I believe Mobley and or Allen was out soon after that. And then Mobley exited as well. And that's when the Cavs really took a dip because you're playing Moses Brown at center. No disrespect to Moses Brown, of course, but he didn't stick with the Mavericks. He didn't stick with the Thunder. He and he, was cut he's by simply the not those other guys. No, he's, he's not. He's not and, those other guys. And it's more testament to Garland's ability to kind of elevate a player like Moses Brown and make him look like a competent role player in, a, in an offensive system for Cleveland, who has a pretty vanilla offense to begin with. And I do wonder if maybe it's a little bit of the Cavs playing tight, because Garland has said a few times he, he gets very frustrated in losses. He doesn't like talking to the media. Like, I think understandable, because if you're in your early 20s and you have all this pressure on your shoulders, I think I'd be a little pissed too, but... This is Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast. On Ohio vs. the World, we'll travel back in time with the authors, historians, and even witnesses to visit the most exciting, consequential, and too often overlooked topics that have shaped America's history. There seems to be an Ohio connection to so many important moments. When you said uh, Ohio versus the world, we did some damage. So join us and we'll take a deep dive to enlighten, educate, and entertain you as Ohio vs. the World makes history fun again. It's more so the fact that the Cavs haven't, the majority of this roster hasn't been here before. You have Rajon Rondo and Kevin Love who have won championships and have playoff experience. You have Ed Davis who's seen a lot of action as well. You have Jared Allen and Karis LeVert who got a cup of coffee in the playoffs a few times. But the majority in the core of this roster 
has never played made the playoffs and like Larry Markin joked about it saying like this is like my fifth year and I still haven't made it but it, it's also it's hard it's hard to make it and I think the East just kind of hitting another switch I think Philly making a power move made it more difficult for them because the Sixers were kind of treading water before then it's yeah. it's a lot of interesting dynamics and I think a lot of things just kind of went against Cleveland and just to circle back to your grievance Taylor like I wouldn't be up I mean I understand in the moment why you're upset but like long term you gotta remain present obviously but look at look ahead a little bit and say this isn't a failure because yes the onus is now on the scene like the expectation is then for them to be winners out the gates but that's exciting to think about too like because i would not have projected this at all after like at the beginning of the season i'm like yeah they're gonna have another bad season they're gonna be a talented rookie maybe they try next year with like a promising core of like five, six, seven, eight players plus like a top flight rookie in a very top heavy draft. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, the expectate, I mean, I imagine back in what October, you would have thought going into this off season would be totally different than where we're at. So what, where do you think they can go to improve right now? I mean, I, I don't know how much, leverage they're going to have in free agency because it's not like you're coming here to ring chase at this point but i I imagine they're going to be willing to go spend well it's tricky because when you say go spend they may have to start paying internally because kobe altman has pressed on this a little bit where colin sexton is a restricted free agent missed a lot of time because of a torn meniscus but i think if you're the Cavs and i've heard this you want to keep him in house because he's a young talent you developed and kobe altman has made it pretty clear that he deserves to be a part of this winning situation because he was here for the bad times. Why not have him here for the good? But at the same time, Karis LeVert's extension eligible. Um, Darius Garland is extension eligible. That won't kick it until next offseason, but he'll probably get the max from the Cavs at this point. Like He's shown he's an elite player at this point, so why wouldn't you award that play? And then Isaac Okoro is going to be extension eligible at that point, and then after Coro's extension kicks in, you probably sign Evan Mobley to a max contract, and then maybe you sign Jared Allen to another extension because he'll be extension eligible. It's tough financially for what the Cavs are trying to do. And I think if you try to bring someone in, I think Larry Markkinen is probably your most expendable piece just in terms of he's a big who can shoot threes. He can provide some rebounding. He showed a little bit of playmaking chops at times that the Cavs asked him to. Um, people say he's better defensively in certain scenarios, but I just hard disagree with that just based on eye test, but I don't know what they can do to improve. I think maybe add a talented rookie. It was interesting because Kobe Altman said a lot of things without saying much in his exit interviews, but he did kind of make it clear that they're excited about having the prospect of adding a young rookie to this draft class. And I think he, him saying from this draft class and him saying that they need shooting and they need length and athleticism, Kind of gives you an idea that maybe they're looking for a wing. I think obviously they need to bring in like a veteran point guard to kind of keep things calm on the court and the break glass in case of emergency. I'm a big proponent of having adults in a room full of kids just to kind of keep things chill because you have Kevin Love and then you had Ed Davis and Rajon Rondo and Ricky Rubio for a little bit as well. But I think if you address the backup point situation as well, that's pretty paramount. And then maybe add more of a NBA caliber big man at some point, because again, no disrespect to Moses Brown, but let's say Jared Allen gets hurt. Let's say Evan Mobley gets hurt, like knock on wood, they don't. Um, You kind of have that, just that luxury of like, okay, we have this guy who's playing maybe 20, 25 minutes. We push him up to 30. We can kind of do something similar to what we're doing at Jared Allen, because 
injuries just kept hitting this team at the worst times. And I think it really pointed out some of the weaknesses the Cavs need to address as well. And it, it's an interesting offseason. Um, yeah, no, it's just an interesting offseason for sure. Like, I'm excited to see what this Cavs team does because they have a big three and they can build around it now. And now it's just how do you flesh this out for not just next year, but years to come. Yeah, quickly, what are who are some point guard targets that they could, you know, look at in a trade or on, in free agency? I know, and, and I, I doubt they'd cross this bridge again, but Isaiah Thomas didn't do bad in Charlotte the last month of the season. Um, I doubt they do that as well. I know a lot of fans <laughs> are, like, proponents of Ricky Rubio. I think I'm hesitant on that. Just Is he because even going to be ready to go? That's the thing. Is he going to be ready to go just at the start of the season? You. Also, he's torn the same ACL twice now. He's in his mid-30s. If you want to bring him back for culture, for a brain for Darius Garland to pick and overall vibes, yeah, I'm all for that. I'll definitely get um, the Ricky Rubio three Cavs jersey for Coachella in a, fall, a few years. But maybe DeLon Wright, if you really want to go stabbing for him. Um, we can kind of just take a gander at that. But you have to see how the market pans out, too. Because I think if you're the Cavs and if you look at them, Kobe Alvin's an aggressive general manager. He could pull a rabbit out of a hat because, like, the JaVale McGee trade was very smart. Didn't expect it. Um, the Larry marketing move, very unexpected just because I know Nance asked for a trade privately, and then it became public after the fact. But it was very surprising. Like, the Cavs are always geared up to make some kind of move out of left field that doesn't make sense at the moment but makes sense long term. But I keep an eye on Wright. Um, if the Cavs can offer him a full mid-level exception and he signs for it, that's great. But I think he's going to be competing with the Knicks for his services as well. Yeah. And before we move on to some Guardians gab- gabbling or gabber or whatever you want to call it, Ethan, but I want to play a fun game of stay or go with you guys because, <clears throat> like you said, fans are asking to trade everyone. And I think if it's not Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, or Jared Allen, everyone should be available if you're the Cavs. Like, it's remiss. Let's say Jalen Brown becomes available and the Cavs can make a handsome offer to Boston. They'd be dumb not to, not to include, like, Isaac Okoro and possibly Colin Sexton in the sign trade scenario. But just like a quick well, they, rundown. They for the deal we gave him on Kyrie anyway. Exactly. So like it's it's coming full circle a little bit for his career, but we can go through a few quick names. Um I'll pick I'll pick a two key young players in the core right now that they drafted and then I'll grab two veterans as well off the bench. How about that? Cool. I like it. All right. Isaac Okoro, would you trade him or would you keep him? Um, I think at this point, I'm still intrigued enough about his his skill set to keep him for one more year. The, both of the last two Cavs high draft picks have made big jumps in year three. And we're kind of waiting on that, I guess, with Okoro. So... I, I I have this fear in the back of my mind. My dad said it when he was drafted, and I watched it here for years. I have this fear he's going to turn into Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I don't think he will. I don't. His first off, his shot's not busted. But second, I think he's overall a better player. So I'm not ready to give up on him yet, unless there's something that the Cavs just can't pass up on. I think that's fair, Ethan. Do you? I know you're. Not the most in-depth Cavs watcher at times, but do you feel the same? I'm more of in the Higon camp with Isaac Okoro. Really? I know, I, I know that Taylor's going to ride the guys have been improving in year three argument. 
the advanced stat nerds are going to come after me and say he improved down the stretch this year. But from the basketball that I've watched, he just doesn't pass the eye test to me, man. And if you can flip him on the promise that he might improve next year for something that fits your needs better right now, he gone. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I'm in between. I'd, I'd like to keep him. I understand like where Taylor's coming from. I understand where you're coming from as well, where you can say, hey, this guy hasn't shown you much offensively, but I think him owning up to it in his exit interview and saying, like, listen, I think my defense is good. I need to get better offensively. I need to be more confident as a shooter and as a cutter and just be more involved in, in so many small ways. I think that's encouraging. And Kobe Allman expressing similar sentiments where they're just like, listen, he's really good defensively. We need to get him more involved and find more creative ways to get him involved and kind of unlock him because he's stuck offensively. And I think... If you're the Cavs, you have the luxury that last year of his rookie-scale contract before you have to make that tough decision where do we want to sign him to an extension? Do we want to let him play out the, another year of his deal and let him enter restricted free agency next year? Or do you trade him? Because he was a part of a bad draft class. Like I know LaMelo is in that class, and he's been a stud, and um, he probably should have gone first. But, like, it wasn't a relatively talent-heavy draft class, but I think able to get something, like, competent rotation-wise out of a Coro with the fifth pick is good. So I'm in between on it. I'm keep him now, but if he's still flat offensively and he doesn't take that third-year leap, I'm entering the he-gone camp. And speaking of gone and maybe a player that's more polarizing because – People think I hate him, but I don't. Um, Colin Sexton, should he stay or should he go? Um, My opinion is, I mean, I'm ever the optimist, so I, I still think he should stay. Um, I think what, and while it wasn't his fault necessarily, I think that what the tail end of the season proved is that the Cavs were in dire need of someone who can create their own bucket and create, and Chris Levert, for whatever reason, just never found that comfort level in Cleveland with whatever, whether it was the offense or him being injured and coming back at a weird time and not really getting, not really getting used to it. I just don't think he ever panned out the way that the team thought he would. And I think, you know, with, with Colin Sexton, the Cavs have a good chance to beat Brooklyn or beat Atlanta in the play. And they're, with Colin Sexton, they're probably not even in, in the play. in. So I have no idea what kind of money he's going to want, but I I got to imagine you. I I, I got to imagine their strategy at this point is they're going to let him test the market, and then match whatever whatever comes back. Ethan, how about you? He's got to stay, man. I mean, you brought in Karis this season to try and fill the void that you were missing with Sexton, and it's going to come down to me. I watched a lot of his early ball when there was absolutely nothing around him but Chetty Osman. And the dude can score, and the Cavs really need that. He's a baller. You might have to, with the emergence of Darius Garland in year three, carve out more of a strict shooting guard role for him. But I also think that helps unlock another part of that offense. Because if you want to have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley down low, and you want to account for both of those guys with four of your players on the floor, well, Colin Sexton's somewhere around the arc ready to pull up. So I think he's just too valuable the way this team is constructed to let him walk from just a pure scoring standpoint. The interesting part of of Sexton's game is I think 
he may be even better as kind of a microwave off the bench. I don't know if he'd accept that role. But I think him he come- would, but you'd have to really make um, a pretty compelling argument on why you're trying to bench him too. Like, how could you fairly say, okay, Colin, we think Karis LeVert's better than you when you can objectively say right now Karis LeVert wasn't. Unless, like, you make get, yeah. like a bona fide stud at the two. That's when you can say, like, okay, Colin, we need you to come off the bench. And Sexton's the kind of player as well where maybe he perceives this as a slight and uses this motivation to get back into the starting lineup. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, because, like, the way the way I've kind of heard it said, like, people can, he could very well be someone like Jamal Crawford. He has some of the – he's not as long, but he has some of the same – skill set in terms of offensive ability and if he's playing that against backups it could be even stronger but it would would just be whether or not he could accept that role you would need to fortify more of the bench depth to make that work because if you're running sexton and three scrubs plus a veteran out there then you're kind of diminishing what he can do for you too regardless of what that plus minus against their backups is and even if yeah. you do have him coming off the bench, he's going to be like T- Tyler Harrow, where he's doing 28 minutes a game, despite you know subbing in two minutes into it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a thought, and I don't know. I just don't know if they go about it. And you know, I, I just want him to come back. I, I just I don't think it's time to ship him off because I think he's about to. He, he's about to find it. I think, and he was probably going to find it this year. I agree, and I think Eden's point about maybe the Tyler Harrow role is an interesting one where, yes, he's coming off the bench, but he mostly plays starter minutes just as a reserve player, and he can unfairly be put in the six-man-of-the-year conversation. I have another axe to grind about that, but I'm still letting it cook <laughs> in the fire a little bit. But um, I figured you did. I am a proponent of bringing Sexton back because... I agree with you. Like he is a baller. He's an elite three level score. I think it's unfair that he kind of saw his season go the way it did just because you thought it was a death knell for the Cavs when he went down. You're like, Oh shit, where are they going to get like microwave buckets from? Cause Colin historically at least is a player who takes a little bit of time to get acclimated each season where like he has to figure out the flow of things, kind of figure out where he stands in Cleveland's offensive dichotomy. Cause they change things up so much. Um, so he was starting to put it together and then blew at his knee. And I think if you're the Cavs, maybe do a goodwill offer and offer him the same extension offer that he got last year, which I believe was four years or five years, a hundred million or something along the lines of that. But it was mostly incentive laden as well. So like if he makes all-star games or if he gets certain awards, like, yeah, we'll level you up, and then maybe you figure out the rotations and stuff too. Because I think Ethan's point about using him in a Tyler Harrow role is really smart. It's something I actually haven't considered at this point because I just looked at the binary view of what the Cavs are doing right now. But it's definitely interesting, um, and I think just keeping him around for the culture as well is huge. I think we the media finally got to hear from him for the first time since his injury uh, during his exit interviews on Saturday. And he's not 100%. He's not cleared for on like full contact, non-court activity and things like that. And he'll be ready for training camp. And I think that Kobe Altman kind of waxed a lot of poetic about how he deserves to be playing winning basketball and doing X, Y, and Z. Kind of gives me a lot of reassurance in my back pocket to say that, yeah, he's going to be here. Um, I think he gets signed to an extension. Levert doesn't. 
you see what you have with Levert, and if he turns it around, he looks healthy, he looks like the player you traded for, then you sign him to one before the extension deadline. Or you just flip him at the trade deadline because he's an expiring $18 million, and I think he'd still be desirable to teams even if the perception around him isn't as high as it once was. But yeah, I agree. Keep calling. And just my last question, because we should probably shift lanes a little bit here. Uh, Veteran-wise, Rajon Rondo, would you keep him or let him walk? This is also knowing that um, he isn't going to join a coaching staff because that's been floated in the ether a few times that he's going to retire and become a coach. I don't. I think you keep him. It's if you can't get Rubio, I, I don't think you can do much better than having Rondo around. So he doesn't provide any scoring ability like Rubio does, but he can still play some defense, and he's been there. And I think he and Colin Sexton can are. I think Sexton could learn a lot from him because I, I, I feel like they have very similar mentalities. Ethan, how about you? And then we'll, I'm gonna flip just, that. We'll, we'll, we'll lightning it real quick. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything more than I say keep him, but I think in the vein that he's better for Garland, learning how Rondo sees the court and not necessarily joining the coaching staff of the Cavaliers, but being a coach and a mentor to Garland off the bench for a full season could do a lot for his secondary game. No, I agree. I think the fact that he's so beneficial to Garland's growth and kind of beloved by this Cavs team, whether it's the vets, the coaching staff, the young guys, like he's a connective tissue in the locker room. That's exactly what you need, a young leader. And I think people think he's kind of a dick, but if you look at his time in Chicago, he embraced being a bench player and just kind of helping the young guys and elevating them, and he's doing it again in Cleveland. So it's always beneficial. Mm-hmm. Well, shifting gears, we, we spent about 40 minutes on the Cavs, so I, I know, I don't know if anyone noticed earlier, but we, we skipped Ethan's grievance, and that was on purpose. We wanted to have a transition point into whatever the Guardians did this past weekend, which was not pretty. So go ahead and lay into them. It's okay. My point doesn't matter. Um, yes, it does. Stop that. <laughs> it's, it's really hard, man. To, to lean too hard into the Guardians right now. But in most part, and there's a lot more nuance to this than what I'm about to say, but my grievance right now is Terry Francona's incessant tinkering with this damn lineup. I understand that the entire league was blindsided by the Rule 5 draft being canceled. So those 11 prospects that you added to the 40-man roster in November and having 13 players among them that have not played a major league game before the season started is a problem. In a normal offseason that wasn't screwed over by a lockout, you would have traded half of those 11 guys for players that bettered your roster. But that didn't happen. There was no winter meetings. There was a week of free agent frenzy before guys started taking the field for exhibition games. So the focus shifted. 2022, with Jose Ramirez locked up long-term, and now Emmanuel Classe and Miles Straw, the focus of the season became prospect development. So why are some of the prospects not playing? You have a backup catcher in Brian Lavastida, who had a hell of a year last year. He climbed from high A to triple A made the roster as your backup, granted, due to injury. But he's gotten two starts uh, 
Austin Hedges has made all of the others, and I would uh, love to get your guys' take on over under. Is Austin Hedges hitting better than 100 right now? Well, based on the fact that you called his batter's box presence a violation of the Eighth Amendment, I'm going to say under. Yeah, just based on that as well, I'm going to say under. <laughs> Those it are uh, well... strong words, and I like that. <laughs> he's he's well got the pen out. He's serious to go, Taylor. He's twirling it. He's like ready to like. He's got notes. <laughs> Austin Hedges is hitting .045. He has one hit on the season in 27 plate appearances. Here's the other question. Could any of us do that? Probably not, but... I mean, I mean hit .045. Like if you give me the entire season to hit that much, I think I have a good chance. Like, maybe once in a while, like, somebody takes pity on me. Like, you know, this guy's just like, really bad. Let me just give it to him this time. Like, I'll <laughs> ready pitch it, like, softball style to him. And I just go <clears throat> and just casually walk to the bases and just they give me the first. And then I'm like, all right, let me pretend to steal so you can get me out. I'm going to go back to the dugout. Look, man, I, I, I am I winded. <laughs> I get it. He's, he's a borderline elite defensive catcher and a top five framer behind the dish. Nearly you're in, you're out. And that's beneficial to a pitching staff, especially one like Cleveland's where there's five young guys up there. You don't have a veteran. Your oldest pitcher is 27. So, but I think I think that's where his value comes in, though, because I mean, you your your team is focused so much on pitching that you need that kind of player. The the Indian or the the Indians now the Guardians have for so many for years. One, my guy, I'm sorry. Although, well, nice well, I mean, this you. goes this goes back even to the World Series years, like. They haven't had an offensive pre- presence at catcher since I was in high school. <laughs> like, but at the same they, time, they've though, been focusing on defense. And I know Roberto Perez has had some moments where he hit the ball, but he was consistently hitting like what one one ninety. He was Jan Gomes two hundred for most of the time. Jan, is Jan Gomes was just catcher. Yeah, and he was still good on defense, but he, I mean, he was hitting what like two fifty. But to counter your point, though, this offense doesn't score enough runs to justify only running eight hitters out there. Because calling Austin Hedges an offensive presence and justifying a spot in the lineup right now ain't it. You I mean, need I, that pitching staff to win you 3-1 games, 2-1 games. You need your offense to score you three runs, two runs, when they're not all hitting up and down the lineup like they did for four games to start the season. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can see it. You, you're not really in a position where you can give up at bats, but I don't think now, you're in a position where you can risk your catcher being bad and giving up runs either. Like it goes both ways. Uh, it's unfortunate because you know the 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 more the more apparent place you see his his impact is at the plate, but the fact that he's able to you know potentially keep runs off the board and help out young pitchers might also be keeping runs off the other side of the scoreboard. So I, I get it. 
and I don't know baseball like you. So the fact well, that I'm arguing that is... That was, the funny thing is that was just a tangent because I started about prospects and the lineup, and I started complaining about our catcher, who is decidedly a veteran. But my real gripe on this roster is with Ahmed Rosario and the clogging of the pipeline that he is causing. And he is the inverse of Austin Hedges, where he is a league average bat, if not above average, which this team needs, but he's such a black hole defensively that a team that needs good defense behind them, you have no room for him. So what is he doing? Well, he's playing shortstop and he's taking away reps from Andres Jimenez, who was the prize return for Francisco Lindor who's a 23-year-old elite shortstop prospect who has significant bat upside and very well could be the next great shortstop of the Cleveland Guardians, but we won't know because Ahmed Rosario is sucking up his playing time. Well, what? Well, Jimenez is on the 40. He's in the dugout most days, isn't he? he so that's the thing. He's played eight games this season, but... Terry Francona's whole thing this season has been, I'm going to play the hot hand. I'm going to ride who's swinging the hot bat. The only player that's really applied to is Owen Miller, who kind of came out of nowhere and flashed the bat upside and the hit tool that we saw in AAA last season when he was called up as one of the hottest hitters on the planet. I'm fine with him being out there. He's more of a natural second baseman. I'm glad Josh Naylor is back, so he's not playing first. That's kind of a problem to have guys just not playing their natural position because their bat's hot. But at the same time, though, Jimenez on April 12th in a blowout game against the Cincinnati Reds went three for four with a two-run home run and drove in three total on the day. He did strike out once. That was pretty early in the season, and that pushed all of his averages through the roof. Sounds like he was going to get hot. However, in the five games, four games, now that uh, the last two games have been postponed, in the four games since then, here is what Andres Jimenez has done for the Cleveland Guardians. Defensive substitute. Did not play. Pulled after two strikeouts. Defensive substitute. Four oh, games since going three for four and being a significant threat in the lineup. Yeah, he didn't have a great first two or three games of the season, but after a guy has a game like that and you want to ride the hot hand, you practically bench him for four games? He's 23 years old. He needs consistent playing time. But you want to give it to Ahmed Rosario. Do you think part of it's the issue that the Guardians are content with being a average baseball team who could maybe flirt with the playoffs or just kind of be on the cusp of things until the end of the year? And they aren't really prioritizing player development. Because I, I don't know if I could really see Tito sitting around and saying, like, okay, we should give all this time to all these dudes who need time to develop because he's had a few health scares and he knows life is fleeting at this point. But it's it's tricky for sure what you want to do at this point because I agree, like, the, the Guardians have a lot of young prospects on deck that should be getting time in the majors with the main club. Instead of spending time with Columbus or with Lake County or with the Arrows, or sorry, not the Arrows, the uh, Rubber Ducks, but it's just inter- it's an interesting thought exercise because I think the Guardians are very content with just being an average team, and this is testament to them just looking incredibly average at times. So I have two follow-ups to that. The first is that they're definitely on a timetable to be competing again, and last year was the outlier 
that team should have never won any games, especially once the entire pitching staff went down and you were trotting out the replacements every day. That was uh, an absolutely nightmare season. So for people to have the expectation that this team should win 86, 87 games and be pushing for that extra wildcard spot is probably a bit ambitious. But here's where I'll tie things back to the Cavs and what I would love as a Guardians fan. This season was already a win to me when you extended Jose Ramirez. So now, with that as my frame of reference for the season, fully expecting to not compete, then my view is on the prospect development. So I want to see those pieces that can come up and support Jose for the next seven years, that can push you to a World Series title while they're cheap. What I want is to find three guys like the Cavs did, homegrown, a core that they can work with for the next close to a decade, and not have any fears about it. That's what this team needs. You may have found one right now in Stephen Kwan, who cooled off, but he still reached base in every single game he's been a part of. He got hit by a pitch in his most recent one, and then got a day off before the postponements happened. But that's one guy. You have so many other holes in this lineup that you have to fill. You also have your bullpen is Brian Shaw and... Pieces. I wouldn't even call it pieces. I would just say it's Brian Shaw and a bunch of Pepto-Bismol. That, that is used on <laughs> Brian Shaw. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like, I don't think this team is content on being average. I think they're hamstringed by... It's, it is, again, so much more nuanced than just throwing it at ownership. Because the game is rigged against small markets, the way the MLB works. And until they change the revenue sharing system and put the teams in Cleveland and Detroit and Tampa on the same playing fields as the teams in LA, New York, this is just how it's going to be for small market teams. And frankly, I'm a little bit thankful after seeing what happened in Cincinnati with Phil Castellini standing at home plate, laughing at the question about them shedding payroll like crazy and saying, (laughs) well, where are you going to go? Well, that's fair. To put the the Rays on an equal playing field, I think they'd have to put them in a new stadium. And not in Montreal. Charlotte is nice. (laughs) See, I'm surprised Charlotte um, isn't given more consideration for a baseball team. I feel like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is North Carolina a big baseball state to begin with? Um, Moderate. There's a lot of Braves. Well, It's it's close enough to South Carolina, too. So you can always get that market as well. there's also a giant void between Atlanta and Washington, D.C. that there doesn't exist, the MLB. So. I don't know what Montreal yeah, brings you. That's Charlotte kind of doesn't. You get warm weather. Um, cool colors if you change it to black and uh, tealish slash blue, like powder blue. Like, you, you got to get options here, man. Like, I'm liking these prospects. Like, <laughs> we should, this the three of us put an ownership bid together for the Tampa Bay Rays and. Even though I was once a Tampa Bay Rays follower, um, should move them to Charlotte. So was Ethan. He worked for the team. I did work for the team. I could probably get us in front of Sternberger, and we could offer him a soggy dollar, and we might get away with it. There we go. Could I ask him what went wrong with Andy Sonnenstein? Man, I want to ask that question about David Price. I want to ask that question about Chris Archer. I want to ask that question about Scott Casimir. That list goes on and on and on. The Rays were neat. Um 
the only reason I ask is because his mom was my teacher in high school, and when they were in the World oh. Series, we had a lot of civic pride because a kid who went to Wadsworth or slash Barbara and grew up in Wadsworth and was playing in the World Series, and then he laid that absolute egg in Game Two, and you're just like, Ooh. and his mom <laughs> the next day is just like, eh. oops, <laughs> oops. What do you need to do? Buy that every time I find my handy Sonnenstein signed jersey. <laughs> See, that's that's a novelty collector's item, though. Like that's that's, Scott, that's rare. He's got a Scott Cosmer one too. I did. I, like I wore that. that to a Cleveland game when he was pitching for the then Indians at the time. Yeah, confused a lot of people. <laughs> okay, that's how, you, well, that's how you know Ethan's authentic as in his coverage and as a fan, folks. Like he has the niche jerseys and will support players no matter where they go. My 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 ideal is that one of these days I'm going to wind up on Zach Meisel's random jersey sightings. Somebody's going to take a picture of me wearing a Seattle Mariners Cliff Lee jersey sitting behind home plate and be like, what the hell is this guy doing here? And tag Meisel on Twitter. That'd be fun. I don't have a, I don't have the collection of jerseys like I used to. Somewhere in the archives of my life, I have a Mike Allstone. What's on your wall back there, big guy? Um, let's see. I got signed Joe Thomas jersey. Nice. Why is that not framed? Uh, because frames are expensive. Fair point. Um, the Cavs jersey is a LeBron jersey from the the last Smart era. pick. And that's a, a game-used Bobcats jersey. Awful pick. Awful pick. <laughs> and a piece of sheet metal from a wrecked car. Um, then turn left fast enough, I guess. Actually, he got turned right too fast into the wall. <laughs> uh, Yikes. Um, but before we go... Figured I'd end with something a little more positive. What sporting event are you looking forward to most in the next couple of weeks? I don't know when we're going to be on next. It might be next week, might be in two weeks. So, what are you guys looking forward to? The NFL draft. It's always just bananas. I love the the intrigue, and it's an it's an exciting time. But maybe we get a clarity on where Baker Mayfield's going a little bit too. But we'll see. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, some clarity on the Baker thing would be quite nice. Ethan, what do you got? Uh, well, I got two things for you. In six days, uh, the Guardians will be on the West Coast in L.A., meaning no more snow days. Stop playing baseball in April in the northeast of the freaking country. And second of all, I start a new job in about a month, and I cannot wait for Baker Mayfield to come scream at me in my cubicle. Can I come scream at you in your cubicle? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to show up to your cubicle and just go... <gasps> really loudly just right in your face oh i'll 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 think up some good insults i, I probably have enough of a enough of a we file lived together long enough you have plenty yeah. of them yeah i have ammo um Ta- taylor would just feed them to me in the elevator and i was like yeah i know all this stuff now about ethan's life so i'm good to go <laughs> <laughs> um i think you know for me you know the draft exists but with the with the Browns not having a first round pick as of right now, and probably not likely, I I doubt they're going to trade in. They, I don't know if they have the capital to do it. Um, thing I'm looking forward to in the next couple weeks actually is the race this weekend. Um, Talladega is always a real fun race. Uh, I don't I doubt you got. I, I've made Ethan watch races. I don't know if I like NASCAR. I I mess with ra- automobile racing. Uh, my dad's a big NASCAR guy, so. 
he always told me he remembered my birthday over my brother's because the Daytona 500 was either a few days before or a few days after my birthday. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I'm but looking forward to Talladega. I was actually at the race. I was at the race on Sunday. I went to the dirt race. Oh, nice. Came home so, covered in dirt. Well, that, that mission accomplished then for the namesake of the race. But before we head out, do you celebrate the Daytona 500? Sorry, not the Daytona 500, but Talladega. Um, are you going to get thrown out of an Applebee's with your family afterwards or just not feeling that vibe? You know what? I've always wanted to try that. And I, I think the movie gave us a blueprint, but I, I don't know if... I, I, I haven't been to my local Applebee's in like a decade, so maybe getting thrown out of it wouldn't be so bad. As long as I don't get arrested and lose my job. Local you just got to get all jacked up on Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> got to get the Mountain Dew hard seltzer, though. Oh, God. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. It came and, full. It, it, good way to add. Yep, that, that, that was a good one. Um, so, Eva, go ahead and go ahead and plug your stuff before we get out of here. Sure thing. You can follow me on Twitter at amnotevan. Um, ditto for Instagram. My Facebook page is just my first and last name. It's uh, Restream Mirror stuff. So right there. And just check out my work at Write Down Euclid. It's through Meta Bulletin. There's no pressure to ever subscribe. But if you do, there's certain perks and benefits as well. But if you do subscribe, you get it in your Facebook feed or in your email inbox first thing in the morning. I usually shoot for about 9 a.m. some days if um. I'm running behind. It's usually about 10. But other than that, uh, I'm on Locked on Cast five days a week. Subscribe to us on YouTube. My webcam's falling, so maybe this is a good time to end. But, yeah, no, just follow me wherever you can. Just hit me up, say hey. Um, I'm a pretty laid-back guy. I am chaotic good most days. And um, Ethan was worried about non-podcast evidence. Oh, did we lose him? Uh-oh. Coming on, but yeah, well, here he is, oh, a special gentleman. <laughs> Yeah, we non-podcast Evan is a, is is more of more teetering, chaotic, neutral, maybe even further. Um, <laughs> but Ethan, what you any, you got anything coming down the pipeline in the next few days? I do not have anything in the pipeline as far as writing goes. But WFNY Cornercast returns tomorrow to discuss the series that they played against the Giants a little bit more in depth, uh, and potentially based on when we record the results of tomorrow april 20th double header against the chicago white Sox. uh but do make sure to find us in wfny discord we do have a public side channel that you can join if you have a grievance that you want to air or you sympathize with any of ours we're there we're there to talk you can just search the wfny discord or we even tweet out the link from our twitter page from time to time so even if you just want to tell me that i'm an idiot or you want more of non-podcast evan on the podcast Ethan, you're an to be <laughs> um yeah uh, the 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 fun in this is that maybe one day we'll gather up enough enough uh grievance mail and do 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 one of those kind of pods but you know just getting started can't really expect that but if you did listen this far hi mom um thanks for <laughs> thanks for sticking with us uh this has been the grievance room episode nine uh, there are eight previous episodes, but we don't know when those will air. They are the lost episodes. I got to find them somewhere. Um, but this has been the Grievance Room on Waiting for Next Year Podcast and the Evergreen Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. See ya.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.